Y'all, my bad. I know I missed an episode last week, but hear me out. What had happened was, I swear I pressed publish on some content, and it wasn't until this past Wednesday that I realized it never actually posted. And basically, in a nutshell, this is why I need a virtual assistant, because we in the middle of this praying mantis, and sometimes I get a little backed up and a little turned around, and this is what happens. So I appreciate y'all showing me some grace and sticking with me. We will be back to our regular schedule this coming week. And I have guests for the rest of the season that I'm really excited about. But for this week, in the meantime, enjoy this rewind of the most downloaded episode yet. And one of my favorite conversations with one of my favorite people. Wait, should it be one of my favorite people or one of my favorite persons? Anyway, enjoy. You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Today's episode is about struggle love, why Black women struggle with it so much, and some of the compromises you might have to make if you are a Black woman who wants to partner with Black men. But before we get into that, one of the things that I want to do with this show is if I have a personal story that relates to the topic for the episode, I'd like to share it as a way to kind of connect to some of the concepts that will will be discussed. So I have a short little anecdote um, from my childhood as it pertains to struggle love. I guess you could say it's my like origin story um, when it comes to how nor- how struggle love was normalized for me at a, at a young age. So you should be familiar. You should be familiar with Brandy's classic album, Never Say Never. So when this album came out, I was in elementary school and my favorite song on the album was Have You Ever. And it was my favorite song because I felt like she was singing my whole life with that song. Um, and I felt that way because there was this boy at school who I had a super crush on and he didn't like me. He was into the white girls, but that's another topic for another episode. But, you know, I was this chunky black girl with thick glasses and crochet braids, which there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It just wasn't what little boys were into. So um, I remember liking him so much. And to be honest, I don't know what I was doing being that invested in a crush at eight, eight, nine, ten 10 years old anyway, but whatever. So um, I would listen to the song. And if you've never heard the song, she's basically talking about how you know she loves somebody this this person so much that it keeps her up at night and it makes her cry and she would do anything to 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 make them care or to get them to notice her and adult me is like girl if you don't find somebody else because it's not that serious but kid me was like oh my god this is me and um i i understand that r&b as a genre like one of the themes they talk about or they sing about is love and love loss and unrequited love and stuff. But I think also this fits into like a larger theme of black women or or I think it also kind of reinforces this idea of struggle love. At least it did for me because I was 
I was a kid looking up to Brandy. Brandy was a big deal when I was a kid. She had Moesha. She was Cinderella. She had this album that was everywhere. And me and my little elementary school friends would argue about who get to who got to play, uh, who got to be Monica or who got to be Brandy when we sung The Boy Is Mine. So Brandy was everything. So here was this girl, this teenage girl who looked like me singing about how desperately she wanted a person that she cared about to care about them back. So I, I don't, I, I, even though unrequited love is a theme of R and B, I don't think it can be removed from, you know, the reality that it's normalized for black women to feel like, um, there's gotta be some element of struggle or there's gotta be some element of them proving their, their worth or their value. I've had times where I'm like, I don't know where I got these ideas about struggle of, but then when I sit back and think about it and really think about, um, my, my childhood and like some of the messages that I got and some of the things that I was into, it's kind of clear how it can be so normalized for black women to be so invested in this idea of struggling to have love or to be seen as worthy um, from a partner. So th that is what we're addressing today in our episode. Today's guest, I'm very excited to have with us on the show. She is a sister friend of mine, Lauren Fannin, who is an author, and she writes under the pen name L.J. Morgan. Lauren, how are you today? Good. How are you? Good. Well, you know, as as well as one can be in, in quarantine, I am very much so quarantined right now, living, living by myself in a new city, but that's neither here nor there. Um... So I'm really excited to have you on the show today because you are, I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, I might have told you this before, but you are a person who has been very influential in my, I don't want to say awakening because that sounds dramatic, <laughs> <laughs> but my like transformation, uh, like in terms of black women's value in, in general, in terms of like, if they're going to choose to partner with men. So I wanted to have, um, have you on the show because you were very instrumental in that. So today we're going to talk about struggle love. That's going to be the main thing we talk about and a little bit of a little bit of other stuff too. Let's start with where, how long have I known you? How long have I known you? When did um, I meet well, you? About, thank you for that. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I, that means a lot to me. Um, I think we met in 2011 when we were both in the grad program, but I think we didn't really start talking until maybe like 2012 or 2013. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, it's been, but so it's been a minute. Yeah. Okay. So like almost, almost a decade, mm -hmm. um, going on a decade. So when, when we met, I was not the same person <laughs> <laughs> in terms of my ideas about dating and men and love and stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that my, thesis is a testament to that because <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what my thesis is about but for people who don't know my thesis was about black masculinity in the context of like romantic relationships and how black men show up in relationships and the underlying idea behind that was I had this sense of how like fraught relationships between black men and black women were, but like anybody else, I was socialized to sympathize with men and so with black men. And so I saw 
I thought that there was like this black male plight and like they're this endangered species and they have the, the world is, you know, out to get them. So I need to sympathize with them and understand like how they show up in relationships to really get at the root of the problem. Yeah. So I think that speaks a lot to a lot of the stuff we'll talk about in terms of struggle love. So if you were, were to give a definition of struggle love, what do you what would you say struggle love is? I would say it is a love where you as a woman are giving a lot more than you're receiving. So it's like um, a struggle to be seen, a struggle to be heard, a struggle to be taken care of and nurtured and, you know, adored and cherished. Um, You know, a lot of times when we reference it, we mean financially, but I think it can also be emotionally and psychologically as well. So I think just any, any type of love or a love relationship where you're not getting, you know, you're, you're pouring yourself out and not being filled. I would agree with that. Struggle love is kind of the same thing for me, just especially for, for black women, this idea that love is enough and, and not necessarily having parameters around how that means we show up and, and support men, specifically black men, and not necessarily setting boundaries or making sure that we're not just getting the raw end of the deal. Tell me your history with when it comes to struggle love or what you learned. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I started dating as a you know young teen and, and <clears throat> I didn't really get a whole lot of messages about dating from my mom. My parents divorced and my father wasn't in the home. And so um, and my mom really didn't date. Um, she didn't believe in bringing men around because there were three daughters. And so I didn't really have examples of, you know, what love relationships were supposed to look like romantic relationships. And so <clears throat> dating as a teen, it was just, you know, it, you're young, it's high school. Um, so it, it was just kind of, you know, meaningless meandering with the cute guys. And, you know, so I, I think that, you know, it wasn't until I got to college where I, I got into a real relationship and that relationship started out good and became a struggle relationship. And I, I really, mm-hmm. I, I learned, and, and I, I don't want to say that like, all women need to go through that to learn, but I needed to go through that to learn what I didn't mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. So I think my formative relationship years were 19 to 20 because that's when I dated this guy. And it was just, it took me to such a low point that I came out the other side, side like I will never go through that again. Like Scarlett O'Hara, you know what I'm saying? Like if God is my witness, I will mm-hmm. never, never struggle like that again in a relationship. And so, yeah, my, my experience was what taught me. You know, I wish mm-hmm. that I had learned in the home or by example, but I had to struggle to to learn it. So that that's really kind of my story. And and it's like a couple years after that relationship is when I met my husband. And it was like, you know, again, because of that relationship, I saw that he was the, the kind of person that I that I needed to be with. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's kind of same upbringing for me. I my mom didn't bring many men around and I also didn't get I, I didn't get like the talk about like what to what to demand from men and you know all that kind of stuff so but well but I think there are a few things that kind of still reinforce this idea of struggle love for me um I've always been an independent naturally independent person like my mom told me there are kids who you know talk a lot and you know just will talk your head off and you got to do stuff like play the quiet game to have a little slick way of getting up getting some quiet but that wasn't me as a kid I was always the, the quiet kid who sat somewhere and like read my books and stayed to myself so mm-hmm. I've always been 
um, independent even into adulthood. But when you mix that with messages about like how women shouldn't be materialistic or shouldn't ask for things or um, be too high maintenance. And then also the, the message that if a man does do certain things for you, that means you got to set it out because right. that's the nature of. So I think those three things combined, me being a naturally independent person and then getting messages that you shouldn't be too high maintenance. And that if you do get something from a man, you, you know, you should expect to be giving in return. So I think all those things kind of dovetailed and made me the type who was less likely to ask for anything from me because I didn't want to be too much trouble and I didn't want to owe a man anything. And this is where you come into play (laughs) (laughs) because I I used to think these things. I used to be the type of woman who, uh, a young woman who didn't want to ask men for anything. And I used to be, I used to be like, no, we can, we can go Dutch because (laughs) (laughs) we can go Dutch because I just didn't want to owe nobody nothing. So, (laughs) and I remember some things that you would tell me and, uh, you know, when you would say them, I'd be like, what's she talking about? And, but (laughs) But like over time, they sunk in. So for example, I'm going to give you some examples. Okay. So at one point I dated this guy who lived like in the next day over and used to come and visit me. Um, and I don't know how you and I got on the, the the fact that he and I went to the gas station on one one occasion when he was visiting me. And you asked, who, who pumped? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I was like, he he offered, but I was like, no, I got it. And you were like, don't do that again. <laughs> and I was like, don't do that again. What's she talking about? <laughs> but like, as I, you know, got a little older and started mm-hmm. to understand a little more, I I I got what you were saying. Mm-hmm. But again, I was I was like not the type of person who I I, I was the type of person who or still am the type of person who like doesn't really wait on people to do things for me. And so I had to like kind of switch gears and to, to understand that if, if there is a man in my life who wants to make things easier for me, then why am I not like taking him up on that offer? Another occasion that I remember is I have, I had a friend who, was offering to like take me on a trip, take me on a vacation. Mm-hmm. And we were strictly platonic. We had never done anything. And I remember I was I was telling you about him and I was like, I don't know, like he might try to make me fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we should go. Like we're platonic. like this is we're just friends. Mm-hmm. And you were like I think you should just go. There are men who will pay for the company of a pretty woman and you like you so just go and, and see how it works out. And we went and you were right. And he didn't try anything. <laughs> he didn't try anything. And so, it, you know, and that I think for me solidified uh, an, an important message. We have to realize our value as women and the value that we add to men's life and not be afraid to kind of ask for, you know, what we, you know, whatever it is that we want or whatever we deserve, because, they're getting something from, you know, having access to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we cannot underestimate the importance of a father's role. And, you know, me and you having similar upbringings, but I look at my daughter, she's a teenager now, she's dating, and she's just so different from how I was when I was her age, just because having a father is so instructive. 
I mean, in all her life, she's been able to ask her father and he will move mountains to get her whatever she wants when she wants it because he loves her. And that, that kind of relationship with a man in your formative years is so instructive. And so I see the way she operates even with her little teenage boyfriend. And it's just like, I would have never had the guts. I, I would have never had the Yeah. So it's important, you know, those, and, and I have, you know, female friends who I grew up with and their fathers were there and it's just the difference between me and them has become so clear to me now. And so, yeah, it's, that's the, I think the frustrating thing about it for a lot of young black girls, because they Mm -hmm. don't have that role model to, you know, be in the home to cherish them and love them and nurture them in that way and provide for them in that way. And it's so Mm -hmm. important. Yeah, I and to be honest, I still to this day, I mean, I I've definitely gotten better at it, but I still have to so- sometimes check myself and be like, okay, bitch, like <laughs> you deserve. So <laughs> don't be acting like you don't. Mm-hmm. Um so but I will say one thing that I'm I'm proud of is that I have never um I've never financially supported a man. And, and and I when I say I'm proud of it, I don't mean that in, in a sense that like anybody should be ashamed, any woman should be ashamed if they if they have done that. But I, I, I'm proud of it because there are so many messages that black women get about um, you know, be his rock and be down for him and hold him down and ride or die and blah blah blah. And I just feel like um recognizing your value and what you what men already receive from having access to you you will understand that you don't need to be holding nobody down because (laughs) that's not how it's not how it should go (laughs) and I'm going to give you an example of that because so when I was in that relationship that was a struggle of like he it started out okay but he lost his job and so I had let him move into my dorm with me this is when Georgia State had the village and so they were like apartments I let him move in with me I was buying the food and stuff and I thought because we're already in a relationship and we love each other. So I'm supposed to, this is what I'm supposed to do, you know, when he's down. And I was working at the Riches at Lenox Mall and I had a black male boss. And I remember going to him after work one day because this was the, literally the only adult male that I knew. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, I'm dating this guy and um, he needs some money. And I'm, I have money for my tithe. I was still going to ch- deep into the church. And I was like, I have money for my tithe. And he said that if, if he borrows it, he'll get it back to me by Sunday. Do you think I should? And of all the things this this man could have told me, and he was a father, but he was like, yeah, absolutely. Let him, let him hold it. You know, if he needs it, you know, you need to. And that's still in my mind. When I think of him, I just think disappointed. He let me down. You know what I mean? Like, and you know, he wasn't my daddy, but he was somebody's daddy and he was somebody's husband. And here he is advising me. Yeah. Give your tithe money to that man because he identified with him and not me. You know, mm-hmm. so and that was just and so and I did I did it. I thought, well, if he told me it's OK, you know, and I remember I, a matter of fact, I think he was even active in his church. And so I just I valued his opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, and so that experience, like I still remember it was, you know, 20 years ago. And I still remember it vividly because he let me down, you know, and and thinking about it is is even hurtful for me, I think, because, you know, I, I didn't I didn't see my own value. I didn't see you know, what my role was as the woman in that relationship was not to financially support him. He should have been talking to his male friends and asking them, you know. Did he have daughters? I don't remember if he had daughters or not, but I know he was married. And so I, you know. I was going to say, I wonder if he would give his daughters that that advice. Can you say more about like the differences you noticed between your friends who had uh, father figures in their homes growing up? 
Mm-hmm. So my, my best friend, she, um, I remember, and like we lived in a dorm together and when she went, moved out and got her first apartment and this, this is kind of touching back on something that you said too, but so she would invite guys over to like help her move in just her guy friends, you know, and in my mind, I'd be thinking, you know, but like, what is she, what's she doing for them? You, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't get it. It didn't click for me. And like, she, so she would have them come move her in the apartment. Oh, I have a bookcase. I'm gonna call so-and-so to come put it together. And in the back of my mind, I, I grew up putting stuff together. You know, it was just, it was only girls in the house. And so if, if the lawn needed to be mowed, I was out there mowing. If my mom bought something, I was putting it together. So for me, it was just like, number one, I'm judging because how come you can't do it yourself? And number two, you know, what are you, what are you doing for them that they're coming over doing all this stuff for you? I mean, are, are you at least gonna, you know what I mean? And it's just like, for her, that's what men do. The men in your life take care of you, whether it's your man or your friend. And and for me, it was just like, I didn't have male friends because I didn't, I didn't know you could have a, a relationship like that with a man and not, and not have it be expected to become something else. So I just cut, cut male friends off completely. And so it's stuff like that. And, and my other best friend, her father um, owns several businesses and they, they're pretty well off. And so, you know, and the way that he instructed her financially about things and like let her move home after college so she could save up for her first house and, you know, stuff like that and, and helped her buy her first rental property. Stuff mm-hmm. that I, I never had the benefit of any of that. I had to pay rent when I came back home, you know, and so it's like, Oh, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm another woman of the house. So I got to contribute, you know. But for her, her father would have never, you know. It was just that kind of thing where to have a man nurture and take care of you, or even just help you out platonically because he he likes you and and wants to see you know good in your life and wants to help you. That was so foreign to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What do you think is the reason why a lot of Black women are invested in this idea of? struggle up or just this idea love conquers all and you know it's my it's my place to like you know hold it down and to be to kind of be hesitant to make sure that there are you know that the, the relationship benefits them in some way right um i think it you know it stems back to our history in this country and the fact that you know just starting from when we got over here Black men and women were rendered equal through the institution of slavery. So there was no, you know, there was no protection, no provision, no, um, you know, no space to practice traditional gender roles. It was just like everybody's in the field together kind of thing. And I, I just think that, you know, as as, you know, black folks moved into each stage of um, social life. So from slavery to Jim Crow to civil rights, all that black women were at the forefront or, you know, side by side with them. So I think that, you know, just the idea of struggle period is just so, so much a part of African-American history. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you can say struggle in a good way or a bad way because struggle is kind of, you know, um, in this context is pushing back against um, the status quo. So that's a good kind of struggle. But I think we don't know how to disentangle the good from the bad kind of struggle. And so we believe that, you know, holding a man down, especially a black man, because they have it hard, you know, we and we're drilled into our heads that they have it the worst of all. And I'm not going to argue whether that's right or not, but that's what we've always been taught to believe, you know. Mm-hmm. So I believe a lot of black women are black male identified. And so therefore, you know, we are eager to put ourselves on the back burner if it means um, helping black men collectively or individually. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's like, it's almost as if, you know, if you aren't willing to sacrifice, you know, and, and, uh, and this is another point. I think that also a lot of black women see black men collectively as our sons. 
And so mm. we so we're nurturing them, we're coddling them, we're taking care of them in ways that we don't take care of ourselves or our, our fellow black women. So I think it, there's just so much mixed up in it that I think we we all need collectively need therapy, you know, to undo because it's years of condi- of conditioning. And even, you know, and you know this just like I do, even in a house where there's no man present, black mothers can still instill that in in their daughters and in their in their mm-hmm. kids, you know. And so I grew up I grew up very male identified. My mother was male identified. I mean every everybody was male identified and you know we mm-hmm. the foulest music coming out of our radios, but if it's a black man rapping it, that's the culture. You know, we support it, et cetera. You know, we all, you're too young for this, but see Dolores Tucker was fighting against, you know, the degradation of black women in hip hop. And I remember my mother talking about, you know, talking about her like a dog, you know, and it's just like, we participated in our own degradation because it benefited black men who were rappers, you know? And, And so that kind of thing where it's just reinforced over and over again, socially, that, you know, we are to do all that we can to support and lift up black men, even if it's to our own detriment. And I guess it goes back to my thesis too, but like the need to fix, you know, black men or to coddle them or whatever, that's something that I really had to work on was not not immediately wanting to like help them and like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, get, get to a better position or because uh, to be honest, I don't think that, oh, I don't, not that I don't think, I know men are not meeting collectively as a collective meeting women and, oh, how can I? Help her get to, <laughs> how can I fix her? You know, so like that tendency to like want to help and to fix and to nurture a black man and prop him up so that he can feel like a man and all that stuff. I had to unlearn that. Mm-hmm. I also, another reason why I wanted to have you on the show is um, for your perspective as a black woman who has what a lot of black women want which you know like black love black children and and like specifically a husband a husband who's been able to you know provide and protect a family um and I and because I knew you wouldn't get on here and be like well I got me a good man so I don't know about you other hoes so um (laughs) (laughs) but I was just wondering what you think or if you think that black women um have to compromise or if there are compromises that black women who want those things uh if they there are compromises that they have to make to get those things right um I would say collectively speaking yes because you know, statistically, there just aren't enough black men to go around. Um, you know, th- I think uh, the stats say there's like 1.1 million missing black men of marrying age because of factors like homicide or mass incarceration, et cetera. So that's be- before even getting into, you know, whether they're marriage material or not. And so, mm-hmm. um, and then you have, and of course, obviously not all black men are heterosexual. Um, which mm-hmm. is, so it just, you know, the the dating pool, the marriage pool for black women is, is smaller than for other races of women. And so I think definitely, you know, that's, that's one place where we're starting off on the wrong foot. And then you also have, um, from a social perspective, um, you know, black men, they do have struggles and they do have, um, you know, their manhood is challenged in many ways every day. I mean, you know, because of social factors. And so I think, you know, marrying a black man, um, you have to, there's a respect factor there that, that they expect because they don't get it outside. And so they, they want it at home. I understand it. And so I think that's also something to be aware of is that um, the relationship dynamics are such that you may find yourself, um, you know, in, in a relationship or in a marriage with a black man who, who 
demands respect, who wants submission, that kind of thing, you know, um, because that is where they feel their power the most is, you know, over their, over their families. And so, you know, that's something else. Uh, so I think if, you know, if you can deal with that, <clears throat> then yeah, you know, black love, rah, 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 but, you know, you got to be realistic. And I mean, so not all, not all black men, African-American men in particular have the means to provide in the way that, you know, we're, we're thinking about being provided for these days. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard. And I got married. I'm in it, I think just in a generation where, you know, marriage was still kind of expected and, and certainly like yeah. growing up in Atlanta with, you know, upwardly mobile black folks, like that was the expectation. You're going to go to college, you're going to get married. Um, so that was a prescribed way of doing things. And so it was, I, I, I want to say it was easier for me to get married you know, 15, 20 years ago than it is for black women who want to get married today. So that's another thing is the generational divide. So there's really a lot going on. The respect thing. So that is something that I think I experienced in a, in a, in a way drawing from my classroom experiences. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in interacting with students in the classroom. So for people who don't know, I, I was a professor and I noticed a mark, a very specific um, difference in the way um, black men treated me in the, in the classroom and, uh, compared to like white guys or whatever. And so I think for, for white men, for, for men in general, because I taught sociology classes and African-American studies classes. So a lot of it had to do with like race and gender and patriarchy and all these different structures of, of oppression. And so um, for anybody who was in a privileged or dominant p- position within society, it like it wasn't stuff that they necessarily liked to hear or whatever. But for I think for white men, for, for white male students, it was easier for them to shrug it off or to see it as you know oh whatever you know I don't really care because once they get outside of the classroom they're still white men and they still have you know their privilege or whatever but I had the most fraught and (laughs) and volatile uh, (laughs) relationships and experiences with black black men in the classroom and I think it was because they they I, I think even if this wasn't the case, I think they perceived it as like a threat to their like respect and, you know, their position to have a black woman, especially one who looked young or whatever, in a position of authority over them. So, I, so yeah, I think that respect thing is huge for, for black men because clearly mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with the things that I experienced. Yeah, and I mean, if you, if you look at like if you look on Twitter, some of these stupid debates that the black folks have about who makes whose plate first, and it's just all of that. I think boils down to the fragile masculinity mm-hmm. of black men, and and you know, and and I get it because on the flip side of that, you know, black women also we have our little things that we want to argue about, like opening the door, or you know, so it's um stuff that you know I don't really see white people fussing about too much. It's it's like, you know, because like you said, white men are already privileged. White women, you know, as, as it relates to other women, they're privileged, they, their femininity has never been denied. And so they don't have these little silly arguments. They don't need to have them, you know, but, but we're fighting over scraps because of our social position. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, my husband told me early on, like it's certain stuff, you know, don't, don't say that to me or don't take a certain tone with me kind of thing. It's just like you know, kind of laying down the law and I mean, you know, I have a smart mouth. I've always had a smart mouth. It's been fantastic. And so I had to check that early on because it's like, okay, he he doesn't like it. He feels disrespected. So it's like some, some way that you have to kind of give 
um, and take when you're black in a in a relationship that maybe you don't deal with with others. I, I don't know. I've never been in an interracial relationship. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So speaking of like femininity and masculinity, let's let's talk about that a little more. So there are there has been like a I feel like an increase in platforms that are specifically devoted to femininity for black women and how black women can use lean into their femininity and use it um, to their advantage and to level up and whatever else. So let's talk about that. What do you think um, is the utility of femininity for black women or black women using their femininity? So I can see the, you know, it, it does, it, it, it can be a tool and it can be wielded. And I think that, you know, generally speaking, I think, you know, most black women who want to appear feminine, they can, and they do, but, um, it's just, it's, it's tough because on on the one hand, um, it, that marginal, like pushing that idea marginal, marginalizes some, a segment of us. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, yeah, I mean, women of other races do it all the time. And so are we, are we going to be in the race and and run and keep up or are we going to, you know, pretend like it doesn't matter. So I think it definitely matters. And, you know, and, and a lot of these like hypergamy and level up groups, um, you know, they, they, like you said, they talk a lot about that using your femininity, um, being soft, being, um, you know, and, you know, being independent, but not like lording it over a man and, you know, stuff like that. So I think that as a strategy, it works, but, um, we have to kind of be careful not to, create an ideal that a lot of women can't match up to. So, Mm -hmm. but I definitely see the utility of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I agree in terms of like using femininity in the ways that you can to produce like a desired outcome. And also I just like, you know, wearing dresses and heels and makeup and stuff. I like when I look good, regardless of whatever else anybody else is doing, but in terms of like using it to, women using it to their advantage. I definitely agree with that. I think where it becomes problematic to me is when it, so a a couple of things. First, it sometimes, not even just borders, it just flat out is anti-Blackness. Like when we talk about certain standards, certain things that, you know, aren't seen as attractive to men, like natural hair and things like that. And then also some of it seems like some of it doesn't seem that different from respectability to me. Mm-hmm. And and also I think there's a bit of not being realistic in in some in some cases because and when I say not realistic, I mean that there's only so much that putting on a dress and like wearing makeup and being soft and nice is going to do for you in terms of your access. So like you can do all of those things and it may produce optimal results for where you are where you are stationed in life, but it's not going to give you access to a, a lot of the things that I, I think that a lot of these platforms are pushing for. So like, for example, like trying to date a millionaire, find a millionaire. Like, first of all, there aren't enough millionaires to go around. And second of all, if you weren't born or grew up with access to people in that position already, putting on a dress and makeup is not going to give you access to that. Those are the things that I that are that I see as problematic in terms of femininity platforms and what a lot of them are put are not I don't want to say selling, but 
<laughs> but a lot of their messages. But but also I do still see the utility because you know men men like to. It goes back to that respect thing. Men like to feel like men. And so if you can milk it, then milk it. And I certainly bat my eyelashes and, you know, <laughs> no, whatever. Yeah, you know, and I mean, there's been times where I, depending on where I was going or, or what, I'd be like, do I wear my hair straight today? Or do I do a twist out? Or like it, it, that kind of thing where you are navigating between, you know, the sort of the ideal standard of beauty, which we know is Eurocentric um, in America or, you know, in the United States, at least at, on, on the whole, or then the, there's the African-American standard, which has more rules and regulations, you know, so it's, it's hard. And also I want to m- mention too, for some black girls and women, that kind of femininity can be dangerous depending on where they are, like where they live, what they, you know, where they work. And so that's something else too. I mean, you know, you got a lot of girls out here who have these sort of hard outer outer shells because they're protecting themselves. And so, you know, we have to be mindful of that and not kind of, you know, further marginalizing them when we help these messages universally. Um, I think we need to remember that, you know. And I'll be honest, you know, some of it is just flat out laziness. Because like I said, I, I grew up, you know, having to be independent, you know, having to do a lot of stuff in the home that I did not want to do, um, you know, and so <clears throat> in my mind, it was like, I don't ever want to live like this. You know, when I get older, like it's going to be it's going to be a man around because I'm not trying to, you know, be fixing stuff and mowing stuff. You know, So a lot of it for me was like kind of backlash almost against. And I mean, that's not to disparage my mom. You know, she she was working full time. So we had to pick up that slack. It was like, I, I just don't like once I have the, the opportunity to choose a different life, I'm choosing it, you know, and so. Yeah. And so, but, to, but to have that kind of traditional relationship, you know, I, it, it, it gave me space to be soft and to be feminine, let my guard down and, you know, and to say is some stuff I'm not going to do. And it's, and I, you know, my husband, when we were engaged and um, we were looking at where we were going to live and, you know, he was taking us and, and, you know, due to our budget. So we, he was like, we were looking at apartments and, he was taking me some, to some places and I was like, and I never th- thought I, I was a bougie person, but I was like, I'm not going to live here. So let's go. <laughs> and he'd, go to the next place and he'd be like, is this okay? I'm not living here either. And it would be little stuff, that I, but I just, I wasn't going to deal with it. So, mm-hmm. and so he had, he was just like, okay, I'm going to just come up with something else. And so he figured out a way to buy us a house, but it was just like stuff like that to where it's like, I, I know how I want to live and I'm not going to settle. And, and, and that's period. And this is before any of these level up things happened. And, you know, like I, Great, but it's just like you just get to a certain point where you're done and you want better. I'm all for black women, whatever that looks like, you know. We, and like you said, we're not all going to be married to millionaires. Most of us are going to be, most of us are average and we're going to be married to average men. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there's a certain standard of care, I think, that black women need to have for themselves and whatever that looks like and don't settle for less than that, period. Mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate of you have to at least have what I have. I, I'm not looking for a millionaire, but you have to at least have what I have because I have things that I like. And what's not going to happen is <laughs> I'm paying for you to go on trips because I like to travel. And you <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Right. So in terms of, of patriarchy, I want to ask if what do you think of our ways that we 
opt into patriarchy. And I'm not even sure that's the right way to phrase it because uh, to be honest, we are all opt uh, we're all perpetuating patriarchy because we live in a patriarchal society. But I guess what are some ways that you think we as as women or black women who are seeking to have relationships with men, black men who aren't based that that aren't based on struggle, are there ways that we're opting into patriarchy or perpetuating patriarchy? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, and you you know, you know what the patriarchal bargain is, but you know, so the men are supposed to provide and in exchange the women accept the patriarchy because we're being protected, provided for, you know, cared for, kept safe, etc. I think black women by and large, even though we, you know, we know from a sociological perspective, women don't really benefit from patriarchy, but I think black women woke up one day just collectively like, well, what am I getting out of this? You know, because not only do I live in a patriarchal society, but there ain't no patriarchs in my house. But, you know, I'm also unprotected, you know, uh, unprovided for. And I'm still in relationships, still yielding, you know. So it's like if, if we don't have patriarchy, then let's do it right. You know, that's the community is not a matriarchy. It's a failed patriarchy. And so I think, you know, we absolutely buy into it. You know, we believe uh, many of us believe in chivalry, um, which is patriarchy believe in the provider. We believe in the male leadership or male headship, especially if you grew up in the church. Um, <clears throat> so absolutely, we buy into it, knowing that it's not the best for us. But I think on some level, we understand that, you know, if if, if it's going to suck anyway, let me at least get something out of, out of it, you know. Um, well, yeah, I mean, so and, and I guess on the flip side of that, you know, for black men who, uh, again, because of the difficulties that they have in securing employment, um, because of the, you know, racial um, discrimination that they face and, you know, being targeted, which is absolutely true. I think for a lot of them, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a struggle just to, to fill that role. And so for them, it's like, well, well hell, if I'm going to be in a relationship, if don't nobody else respect me, if don't nobody else submit to me or, or, you know, show me respect, it's, it's going to happen in my house, you know? So I think that, you know, like, like I said, we're all buying into it because we don't really have a hold on it. And so it's like, we idealize it in many ways. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, so so we all want, you know, we all want what patriarchy promises, um, you know, even if it doesn't really bear out in that way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another thing I had to stop, like, feeling feeling bad about is you're right. If I'm going to be if if we live in a patriarchy regardless and I am going to choose to build a life to be partnered with a man, then point blank period there's gonna be something in in it for me and you think it's still taboo for black women to prioritize things other than love when when partnering with men uh yeah african-american women yes i don't see this with uh for example you know my nigerian friends or Mm -hmm. um, you know my you know haitian i mean like it's i think it's definitely for african-american women in particular it is it is still taboo you know, there's the, the whole gold digger thing, which doesn't really exist. We know that, but um, mm-hmm. there, there can't be gold digging in a patriarchy. I mean, because that's the whole point of patriarchy. But you know, so that the gold digger thing, and um, you know, not not holding a brother down, and you know, being a, a a tool of the white man. I mean, there's all sorts of insults that get thrown at mm-hmm. us. We don't fall in line. So yeah, absolutely, it's taboo. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because I'll have. I'll I'll say that I have certain requirements. I'll be talking about my like requirements to a friend, a guy friend, and he'll have the he'll meet the requirements, but he'll still 
I guess identify with men who don't have the requirements and feel like I'm being unreasonable. For example, a college college education. Because I am um, highly educated, a, a bachelor's degree is a requirement of mine. It just it just is. So I have gotten like flack for wanting a man who has a bachelor's degree at least. So it's really interesting the way that these messages still get, you know, re- reinforced. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and even our fellow women are, are gatekeepers of this sometimes, you know, but they have a name too now that they, they get called pick me's. But, you know, a lot of them are gatekeepers too. And, and they do the sort of the guard dog work for black men collectively. Mm-hmm. They, you know, black women shouldn't X, Y, Z. And, you know, you're, and, and they call their fellow black woman gold digger because they want something more. So it's like, you know, yeah, it, it's frustrating. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. It, it's frustrating. And I think that um, there's a, an underlying fear there that if if black women raise their standards, they're going to leave behind a whole you know, and nobody likes to be left behind. And, and, and it's like even if they don't want you specifically, they don't want you leaving them behind. And they don't want you doing right, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So there's that element as well. So what do you what do you think is behind the, the black women who are are the guard dogs and who kind of um, shame black women who are making demands for more in their partnerships with men? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it goes back to the the number one being male identified and number two as seeing the collective of black men as as their sons. And so it's like, you know, if she thinks that about black men, then she could be thinking that about my son or she could be thinking that, that about my brother. You know, never mind that black men, by and large, don't collectively see us as their daughters or sisters or mothers. Um, they make women on a case by case basis. And they're very clear about that. Um, black women do the opposite, you know, and so I think that behind that is the idea of, again, I got to be the guard dog, I got to be the protector, um, because that's my role. And black men are, you know, they deserve to be protected. I mean, you know, in a patriarchy, think about how backwards that is, right? And I told you this before, I think that we gladly do it. We, we're not being compelled to do it or demanded to do it. We do it because we're socialized to do it and we come to like it. Because, mm-hmm. because now we're in control, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, even though there aren't really rewards for doing it, I think that we get, that's the thing that we get praised for the most is, yeah. you know, black women are so strong and, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a mess out here. Um, <laughs> I I, I kind of want to get your take on, um, <clears throat> with the hypergamy and the level up, what you think about kind of the the push toward white men, because I'm seeing this more now where, um, so number one, the divest movement. So divest from the black community period and worry about yourselves, black women burn the cape. And then they're mm-hmm. divest away from black men and, and get you a Chad or a Brad. So I kind of want to get your, your take on that or, you know, and how that, what, what do you think that'll look like in 10, 15 years, where it comes from, et cetera. Well, well, first of all, I'm for if I'm for black women opening up their options to anybody that they uh, that is going to um, help them achieve the life that they that they want. So I, I don't believe that black women should limit their options only to black men because black men definitely aren't doing that. Um, but I think a man is a man is a man is a man. And so I. Can I, I have I have my qualms about positioning white men as like 
the the thing that's going to save black women or, or that's going to be the remedy for the sh- the shortage or whatever of of black men of marriageable black w- men for for black women and also i know that that brings up a whole different batch of the whole different type of issues to deal with in a relationship when you're partnered with a white man but i will also say that i don't necessarily believe that um, just because I'm partnered with a black man, that means that he automatically understands like my struggle or what I go through or any or can identify with the stuff I go through as a black woman. So I don't uh, agree with that. And that's some people's reasoning for, you know, wanting to be with a black man only. Only a, a black man can, you know, identify with what we go through. Yeah. So um <laughs> It's, it's fine in terms of encouraging Black women to open up their options, but I do think it's overstated sometimes um, how viable an option it actually is because men, a man is going is gonna to be a man regardless. And this is, we live in a patriarchy, so just proceed with caution. Yeah. And, and also, and this is something that I, I think about Black men too, but the old adage that wherever you go, there you are. And I think that, you know, for a lot of black women, you know, we still have to undo a lot of the conditioning because I, I've seen some black women go into relationships with men of other races and still do the same things, you know, or still or still mule. And, and so it's, you know, I think we, we need to fix that. And I'm all for opening options, too. I think that, you know, you never put all your eggs in one basket. One of mm-hmm. my, one of my problems, though, with the movement part of it is that we're just so loud with everything. Like we don't properly. And so we're announcing to the world that, you know, okay, so we're not doing this anymore. We're doing this. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's too much. It's like, do what, do what we'll do, but, you know, stop announcing it. Like getting on, Twitter, you know, I'm done with Deshaun. I'm getting me a chat. And it's just like, it just invites a lot of unnecessary, I think, scrutiny and ridicule and, yeah, so I just I think that that's my those are my my worries. And number one, we're carrying baggage into relationships, thinking that we fix the problem because we mm-hmm. change the partner when in fact we still have issues. And then number two is that we're just so loud about it, and and it's like you know people are noticing that. And I and you know I don't I'm not a person who cares a lot what people think generally speaking, but mm-hmm. sometimes we look stupid out here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. So uh, to that point, I I have an issue with black women, well, in general with black women being um loud about their promotion of other of like dating other right. men of other races right. when you don't see men of other races really promoting, you know, oh, I date I date black women, I love black women and I'm going to get part. me a black woman. That part. Yeah. Yes. yes, absolutely. And it's like yeah, you're. I mean, you're still the. You're supposed to be the prize no matter where you go. So, yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah, I just. I think I just let you see my dirty closet. Um, <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't. Even, I couldn't even see it. Oh, for people who are who are listening, um, Lauren has me looking at uh I, the floor for this for this interview because she refused to be on camera even though I'm the only person that's gonna see her. I have quarantine eyebrows and hair. It's just I'm vain. Okay. So th- so that's one of my flaws is I'm vain. So <laughs> I ain't gonna judge. I just appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking the time out to come on the show. 
Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself.